we put this logo up next to our logo, these diehard fans are going to be all in with us. But the thing that I think isn't talked about enough is the earned media, the viral conversations. So I knew the NIL train was coming. I think our first deal was for $5,000. We got about $800,000 worth of free media. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the no excuses, no BS legal marketing agency that works harder than competition. Each week you get insights and wisdom from some of the best in the industry. Hit that follow button so that you never miss an episode. All right, let's dive in. Today, we take an inside look at one of the nation's leading personal injury law firms. I'm thrilled to welcome Dan Morgan, partner at Morgan & Morgan, to share their story behind their explosive growth. With over 700 attorneys across the country, Morgan & Morgan has recovered over $15 billion for their clients. So how did they go from a single state practice to a nationwide powerhouse? Daniel pulls back the curtain on their strategic decisions, marketing tactics, and intake processes that fueled their growth. He provides valuable insights on how to transform a firm no matter the size. This is an exclusive masterclass in accelerating growth from a firm that has perfected it. Dan shares the secrets to their dominance in the PI space. Learn from a leader of one of the most successful personal injury law firms in America. Here's Dan Morgan, partner at Morgan & Morgan. Well, yeah, my first legal job was a call center later on in high school. But I always tell people, I feel like I learned more in those summers and weekends and afternoons in that call center than I probably did, especially my third year of law school when, you know, a lot of the course materials were kind of deviated away um, to like the the basic stuff. But I mean, especially for, for like Morgan & Morgan, you're fielding so many different types of cases that you're really learning that case criteria. Um, so you're figuring out, you know, this med mal case might be a case in Florida. It's not one in California, or this case has exponentially more value because of the states that it happened in, or if this would have happened in say Philadelphia, we will, we would be taking it since it happened. The same exact fact patterns happened in Orlando. We're not taking it or vice versa. And obviously stuff's always flying around to, you know, laws are changing and statutes are happening. We're all of a sudden cases that we were taking on Friday, we're now back on Monday. And now we're either not taking those cases or referring those cases out. So definitely a lot of that the kind of le legal stuff as far as the facts of a case, that yes or no. And then really just talking to people. I mean, a lot of times you got, depending on the clients that are calling in, you got all sorts of people that are calling in and some want to talk for hours and you'd be their therapist. So a lot of that, just those people skills and being able to talk to everybody definitely might, you know, was, was improved from my time in the call center. You had another unique experience in law school. You worked with Mark Cuban. I did, yeah. Tell me about that experience. What, what was that? Yeah, so I uh, won L year of law school. There was uh, a fundraiser for Barack Obama during the All-Star Weekend in Orlando. I was at Vince Carter's house, who lives in Orlando. My dad knows Vince for a while. He went. Vince went to Daytona Beach High School, and he's been around the community forever. So North Carolina, yeah. Exactly, yep. So he, uh, so, so, so he invited me and my brothers over to the event, and there was a bunch of different stars there, like Magic Johnson and Dave. David Stern and Chris Paul uh, and Mark Cuban at the time, Vince was playing for the Mavs. So Mark was there. He was actually guest bartending for like an hour or something as a part of like the promotion. Like Mark Cuban, you know, he's a, he loves to bartend. So he was bartending and he asked me like, what are you doing here? Like you're the youngest kid in here by far. Like what, what's the deal? Like, oh, you know, I'm a local kid. My dad's an attorney in town. We kind of bundle some money fundraising wise. And he asked me, he's like, well, you know, all, all these guys said they're going home after this. Do you have any plans tonight? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Marcus Jordan. Michael Jordan's son played at UCF basketball at the time. It was his, I think, 21st birthday. 
So that my buddy's opening a club tonight and Marcus Jordan's turning 21. I'm going to go over there. And Mark's like, I hate to be that old, that old guy, but can I roll with you? And I was, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> say less. So we hung out that night and then I just kind of started pestering him that I wanted to intern for him, work for him. So he finally did hire me. A lot of my time was spent kind of once a Shark Tank deal goes through, they didn't have a time of due diligence to kind of poke holes, see if the guys in the show were telling the truth about certain things or if the patents were legitimate or were they still in process. So that was my, kind of my job to begin with was vetting these uh, companies and it was fun and dealing with the owners and seeing if it was approved or not. And then towards the end of it, I got I had a buddy that was a free agent with uh, the Houston Rockets, Chandler Parsons. So slowly my my internship started turning into, well, how do we get Chandler to the Mavs? And we actually, he ended up signing with the Mavs uh, that, that off season. And then the following year, I got a job with Chandler's agent. So it was definitely a fun time. Ended up the end of the summer and we ended up taking Mark's G5 to Vegas with Dirk Nowitzki and Chandler and Michael Finley and a few other guys. So it was it was a great time. Those are just all heavy hitters. That, that's such an awesome experience. I, you probably were thinking, well, hell, I had this plan of this trajectory and it's you're kind of getting pulled over to this other one. Oh, no. Yeah, for sure. I mean, coming up, my dad always says that I went to law school under duress. It wasn't my first choice when I was kind of coming out of college. I had, like I said, buddies that were playing basketball in Florida and another buddy, Vern, get drafted to the Pistons. Chandler got drafted to the Rockets, other guys in the pipeline. And I was trying to go be a sports manager agent. Got into law school actually in Houston, uh, where he was. My dad's like, "Absolutely not! You'll fail out. Uh, you're you're coming back." And then I got in. I got in Stetson. That's where I ended up going. And then when I also got into Stetson, I was like, "I also got into Miami." I was like, "I think I'm gonna go to Miami." He's like, "No, you're not. You're gonna fail out of there. Uh, you'll be in South Beach half the time." So I ended up doing my law school over in St. Pete, and then having awesome internships during the summer to kind of fill that void. Morgan & Morgan has grown into one of the biggest personal injury law firms in the country. Dan's uncle Tim ran the call center and made it into what it is today. Tim had a simple motto for success. Hook it and book it. He wanted to sign up on that first call. Though it could come off as aggressive, it's hard to argue with the results. Dan takes us behind the scenes of one of the most successful call centers in the nation. Our, our call center now, you know, as far as total employees, is definitely north of 500, probably scaling towards 1,000 somewhat quickly. Yeah, I mean, last year, I think we did over 2.5 million phone calls. Uh, we field it. So a lot of it's here. You know, when I when, when I started in the call center back, you know, I was, that was 17 years ago or so now. It was about half a floor of our downtown office building with probably 45 to 50 agents. Uncle Tim, the Cobra leader, was, you know, behind the desk and, and, and running it. And we had field super our floor supervisors say there's a close call. Hey, what's the state? What What's the facts? I think it could be signed up. I don't think it could. You you kind of go, go to them and make a quick decision, and then it kind of keeps elevating it up. Now there's so much layered management. You know, we have different teams and different focus areas and practice types where if it's a social security case, you're getting piped right to the social security intake department. We do take advantage of some offshore services, you know, especially with Spanish speaking clients, where if it's a Spanish speaker or call wait time that's longer than 30 seconds, we can get them over to an outsource that speaks the language and we're not, you know, waiting for that. Hooking and booking, we have a kind of a firm policy that if you're missing that, you know, if there's more than a 30 second to a minute queue, and that person hangs up, most likely they're not hanging up and calling back in 30 minutes when the queue times are bad. Most likely they're hanging up and going to the next line on Google or the next recommendation they got from their Facebook friends. So the whole hook of booking philosophy is really, you know, if if one, if you're hanging up on the client or if you're saying, hey, I think this might be a case, we'll call you back in 30 minutes and let you know. 
most likely that 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 client's gone forever. You know, he would say it'd be like you're deep sea fishing and you pull in a marlin and right before it gets to the boat, you say, you know what, I'm going to unhook that. I'll go, I'll catch that same fish in about 30 minutes from now and go from there. Like, no, once you get that fish off the hook, it's gone forever. So it's kind of that same mentality with cases. It already is all 24 seven. Even now we have, we have call agents that are able to work from home so they can plug in right there at their laptop and start fielding calls. And they, they might be part time. Hey, I got two hours to kill right now. They can log onto our systems and, and kind of plug and play and they have their scripts there constantly just trying to improve it, you know, from whether it be our referral flow or, our non-practice areas is improving that experience. So Angie Fleury, she's our uh, the boss over there. She does an incredible, incredible job of keeping that thing so efficient and running. There's definitely a culture down there of, hey, we, we strive to be the best. We want to give the best service. They are the front lines. They're the first people that when you call Morgan and Morgan, they're dealing with. So they really, you know, the agents themselves are also, you know, they definitely have pride in it, which is, you know, goes a long way. And, and finding rogue operators. I mean, we find people all the time, you know, it could just be someone that's angry that day and they're just pressing call disconnect halfway through a call because they're done doing a sign up and it's a qualified case. So having layered management to like check why is agent A have an average call time of two minutes and everyone else is at five and a half minutes. Let's go pull her calls. Oh, something's going on. Her phone's not, you know, there's a manual disconnect going on. Just stuff like that. So always having systems in place to be able to canvas and make sure it's being run efficiently. There's so many intricacies to it because of the different practice areas, because of the different geography and then data. And I believe you guys are using Litify for the CRM stuff. And that's having, I guess, a huge impact on the just overall kind of breaking down those communication silos when it comes into the delivery side. Would that be fair? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just having, you know, being cloud-based now, when I was back in uh, um, the call center, we were on, I think it was called Captora, which some, some, some of your listeners might be on, you know, it's kind of a pre-inventory, um, like an intake software type of deal, but then you have to take the information from Captora and, you know, hard transfer it over to your other software. So you're inputting and exporting. Well, now with the cloud base, you can do an intake and just send that intake right over to our attorneys. And now we have it set up where, say it's a Montana case and we're not bootsing on the ground in Montana. We can take that SIM intake, you know, ship it out to a qualified partner in their Montana offices for a referral type situation and then be able to monitor that case all right, they have it. Here's what's going on with it. There's a policy that's been demanded, clients treating. All right, there's a mediation set. So really giving you that oversight and, and, and to seeing it all. But you know, I definitely say the technology's come so far. Yeah, back in the day, it'd be like, oh, wait, Captora has a hardwire malfunction. We're, we're off Captora for the day. Now we have 40 agents in the call center with you know notepads and papers, taking down phone numbers and calling back descriptions and this, that, and the other thing. We're definitely be some nightmares sometimes. Or be, oh, the guy's flying in to fix the software. He'll be here on Tuesday. So we're going old school until then. You're like, what? You know, now you got some brainiac in Brooklyn that can you know type code and then you're back up and running in three minutes. Some larger firms, you know, I talked to uh, Mike Morse where he kind of operates in a pod, right? You got an attorney, you got a paralegal, you got a, a staff person. Are you guys more top down where you got your attorneys in one silo than paralegals? Like, what do you feel is most conducive for scale? What would you say there in terms of operations and delivery? Yeah, so I mean, we've, we've definitely, you know, we were definitely pod driven for a while. It'd be a lawyer, three case managers, and a paralegal. Um, with an attorney on average handling anywhere from 200 to 400 cases, depending on caseloads and severity. Obviously, if they have 
super complex commercial lit- litigation, trucks, like semi-truck accidents, they're gonna have a smaller inventory. And if they have, you know, a bunch of low impact, no property damage type cases, they might have a higher bandwidth. But it was kind of, you'd have your case managers around 75 cases each, and then a, about somewhere on the same in a litigation inventory with the paralegal. Um, so that was, you know, Morgan and Morgan from 1988 through probably like 2021. 2022. During the processes, there's been some segmentation of it as well, where before a personal injury attorney would handle everything from auto accidents to dog bites, to slip and falls, to product liability cases, et cetera, et cetera, where those have all been segmented out now. So if you're an auto attorney, you're only handling auto accident cases. If you're a premise attorney, you're only handling premise cases. If a major truck crash happens, that insurance company has their safety expert at that crash that night to get all the documentation, get all the evidence. Sometimes you have lawyers that are getting to that truck two weeks, a month later, or they're doing reenactments or reconstructions, and now you're kind of a step behind. So just specializing in, seg- in segmenting out those different branches, we've seen a lot of just higher fees in those, you know, especially for premises before you'd have an attorney, a lot of work goes to premise cases and, you know, especially the initial three days and not as much goes into the auto accidents. So attorneys would kind of be lazy with these premise cases because they were being lazy with the auto cases. And now they've realized, well, now a month's gone by. I don't have what I needed. And now the case is kaput. So now that we have these like SEAL Team 6 lawyers that they get these cases, they're getting the spoilation out. They know what to do. There's investigators they're taking pictures. They're proving it was there for this long. They're putting people on notice. And now our highest average fees in our firm now are premise liability fees, where before, you know, that was the bottom rung. And now for three, four years of this program, people are fighting to get into our premise department because normally there's no policy issues. You know, in an auto accident in Florida, there's a good chance it's a 10K policy or no policy, or there's some type of limitations there. And a lot of these premise cases are negligent security cases. You're going against corporations that have millions and tens of millions of umbrella coverages and things of that nature, where there's never that that problem of, sorry, there's no coverage for treatment. There's no there's no one to go after. There's always kind of someone that you can hold accountable for those cases. Uh, and then going on to where we kind of are going to now, we still have kind of a mix. We still obviously have pods that are running. We have different high value pods that, you know, those guys might have 50 cases, but they still have the same support staff. But now we're also trying to segment out pre-suit versus litigation and kind of making sure that pre-suit is just streamlined where you might not, you know, you might be one of our junior attorneys and you're only doing pre-suit litigation for your first two, three years. And then you kind of will, will get promoted to a, to a litigation role. And then in the, in that regards to you still have maybe five attorneys in litigation and then a managing attorney over those five attorneys. So it's kind of a pot of attorneys now. And those are the same attorneys have their own mini pods underneath them. So it helps with career pathing, right? You got your 500 intake, you know, they got different levels for the intake. You got career pathing, not only from an attorney perspective where you're litigating, maybe it's the actual practice area. You start out and maybe it is auto and you want to go to premises. And that happens a lot. I mean, my dad always calls it being able to know like coaching and positions where Hey, you might think you're a great pitcher and you, you've always been a pitcher your whole life, but I hate to tell you, you're a third baseman and we're going to move you over to the hot corner and that's where you're going to be. And they kind of moan at first and all of a sudden they go over there and they're doubling their fees after a year and they're loving life a lot more. They're not miserable, but they kind of had that in their head that, no, I am the trial guy. I'm the guy that does the closing statements, but it's like, no, you've lost your last five trials. You're going to be the guy that's doing all the workup. You know how to think of depot better than anyone else. You're going to go do all the expert depots. And the next thing you know, they're off and running. With the uh, internship program, that's really what it kind of came out of. Was, you know, we had a, such a great need to hire. Just the cases were coming in, and we didn't have the attorneys to fill it. And you go to and try to hire 
an insurance defense attorney. That's kind of where we would always, you know, that's kind of my dad's old model was don't hire someone out of law school. Let them go do defense work or be a prosecutor or a state defender for three, four years. Learn how to try a case. Learn how to be a professional. And then we can move them in. They then, then apply to us after three years, four years experience where now what we've seen is just one, the, the amount that we have to hire makes it very tough because you don't have those, you know, maybe you could you could snag one great insurance attorney every you know year or so, some, as, as some firms do. But when you're trying to hire five, six attorneys in one city at the same time, it gets a lot harder. And now a lot of these insurance defense firms, too, they're just like, oh, it's Morgan and Morgan. We have cases against them. Conflicts waive. Or we're not waiving conflicts. You're no longer allowed to go there. So we have all these attorneys that want to come work for us, but are stuck at some of these other defense firms that I won't name. And also the, the insurance defense lawyers that do come kind of have all these preconceived notions of case values or, you know, these clients, they, oh, these clients are all frauds. They don't know what, you know, you guys are just drumming up cases and they come in, you know, we call them Kool-Aid drinkers around Morgan and Morgan, but they come in drinking that Kool-Aid for three, four years where they see a herniation with injection case. And they're like, it's a hundred K policy. And they're like, well, that case is worth 60,000. Like, what are you talking about? That person needs to get injections. They're getting needles stuck in their back because this car ran into them. We want the full policy. And you're having these internal struggles with lawyers that they think they know what values are worth. And we're showing them on this same exact fact pattern, we went and got a verdict of $1.2 million and you're trying to sell this case for 60,000. So there's a lot of that making them become believers in, in their cases. My dad says, if you don't believe in the case, you know, your clients won at the ultimate disadvantage, but the firm's obviously at a disadvantage too because you got people that are rowing in the different direction. So when you're able to go to these and get these kids in college to come and work and teach them our way from the beginning and our values and our processes, that yeah, they might not be litigating cases their first three years, but we have this career path now where they can be an intern for two years, then come in, kind of be a junior attorney, paralegal role, research writing, doing memos for a year, then learn the pre-suit of it. And then after two, three years, they're starting to get some litigation cases. And in the process too, they're going to trial. I mean, we you know we have third chairs and all that type of stuff. So they're at least getting in there and seeing it. Same like we were saying about the coaching, you know, you might think you want to be a trial attorney and you do your first direct examination and your knees are shaking and your suit coat's sweaty, which happens. Mine mine was sweaty after my first direct, but I, but I knew after I did it that I loved it. And I wanted to keep doing it where others are like, I never want to do that again. I want to go do appellate law and write briefs on it. I imagine too, by doing structuring it the way you do by your practice area specialists, it also lends itself to marketing too, because speaking on stage at, at being known as a thought leader in that specific area, as, as opposed to just being a great litigator, it's like these kind of experts start to develop based upon their specialization. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And then you get, you know, if you're a mass torts or products liability, then you're getting, you're getting invited to speak on panels. We have a guy, John Yanchunas who I think's won every award possible with like class action and multi-district litigation. It's like, you're at like top lawyer alert. Let me guess, John Yachuna. It's like, yeah, 10 years in a row. So you got these guys that become, yeah, they're just, they're, they're, they're experts in, in their field. And then when the big cases come in, they're the ones that really are the leaders of it, obviously partners and things like that. But you know, if it's a class action decision, John Yachunas, we kind of defer to him on those decisions unless, you know, it's overwhelmingly group think, no, don't do it. But yeah, we have a lot of empowering our employees. If this is what you think is the best way to go, it, you know, as far as resources with cases, even, you know, if you think this expert's what we need and they're expensive, we're not going to, you know, stop you and say, no, you can't spend it. Now, if it's a low property damage auto case with a 10K policy, no, we're probably not going to let you go hire a $20,000 life care planner uh, just because it doesn't, you won't get approved and you're really doing the client a disservice because when you do get the 10,000, they get nothing. So there are checks and balances we have along those lines. But you know, if, if it's the right case, it's pre-qualified. We let kind of the lawyers really be entrepreneurial and be their own bosses and call, and call their own shots and run their own staff 
and then it's still part of a bigger culture that that, that they know and that they embrace and the, and the firm embraces so it's been it's it's been good as we grow especially in some of these newer markets too we'll take some of our proven leaders in our established markets like Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa, Atlanta, and then we'll send them out to our newer markets like Los Angeles and Philly and Boston and St. Louis. So they get that kind of culture infusion. Seeing the billboard, seeing, you know, TV and radio, and I've, I've heard your dad talk on different podcasts. And when we break this down into marketing, you've got paid, owned, and earned. You got your paid media that could be TV, could be radio, could be ads, could be whatever. You got your owned, which could be your website and your content. And I've heard, you know, the Google firm. I've, you know, heard these references and and your reviews and your owned. But the thing that I think isn't talked about enough is the earned media, the viral conversations, the humor, the entertainment. I saw a uh, bus wrap today, Viva Las Vegas. Then I see the, you know, the shirt off on the <laughs> beach, you know, or the the Benjamin. I know a lot a lot of attorneys. They're like. You know they'll they'll poke fun, but but guess what they're doing? They're talking about it. The media is talking about it. So what is the approach when it comes to like the viral, the the earned media to get people talking? How do those conversations go? You know, from the marketing perspective. So yeah, I mean, obviously there's two different types of earned earn media too. There's those there's that type of earned media where you get people to talk, and then there's the other type that we kind of do a great job of too, which is just PR around big cases and getting that. You know, we have a whole PR team that that's one aspect of it, but kind of the more stuff you're talking about. My dad calls, you know, being sticky, getting in people's brains and just sticking there. We have these sessions every week. It's four of us, or five of us, actually. Me, my dad, Ruben Moskowitz, who's our COO, uh, Yehuda Applebaum, who's our chief marketing officer, and then Carlos Wiggle, who is our creative director. So it's us five um, every Tuesday from five to six, but it's really just throwing out these different ideas. You know, people pitch different things and we round table it and we kick it around. And then we kind of, you know, it's called the purple cow meeting, you know, that, that marketing term when, when people see something and it kind of sticks with them. Um, so yeah, we do them every week. You know, we have these ones going on now where um, you might've seen them, but we, we have these billboards with graffiti on them. It says like ambulance chaser and for the money and kind of everything that people say to us. My dad's like, let's just put it on the boards. People are saying it anyway. We'll call, we'll, we'll call ourselves out and people will talk about it. And, you know, we were, we had a, a Twitter post that had 3.5 million people talking about it. And then we were the number one page on Reddit for two days. So, yeah, there's definitely things like that. And now with uh, heavy involvement with, with the UFC and with NASCAR and really go into these places where we know the eyeballs are, but no one's really been there before. There's different reasons for that. You know, we're obviously a national law firm, so it makes more sense for us to be on a UFC that's broadcast nationally. Whether Instead of, say, your number one attorney in Detroit, you're making a killing, you still might not want to make the type of investment because you're only going to want to handle the case that are in Detroit. You might be able to refer some some diamonds out as well. Well, we're, we're we're able to take all those cases in no matter what's coming and find the homes for them. And if we're not handling them, like we're in we're boots on ground in 20 of the 50 states now. So there's a good chance we can handle it. And if not, we have good referral partners that can. So really taking those chances and doing deals like Barstool Sports and some of these other podcasts, like Theo Vaughn, we've been on him a bunch and kind of these more comedians and podcast styles. And it's mainly the people to be like, wait, they're here now too. Like, you know, you can't really like turn on TV, you go on a drive, you turn your radio on, now you're turning podcasts on or UFC or NASCAR or baseball games or hockey games. And like these bastards are here too. <laughs> so that's kind of the thought, be everywhere for everyone. 
Here in Orlando, like the common theme around here are just put a guy on a billboard with a big check in our name. And, you know, there's five firms that do that same type of advertising down here. And it's kind of press and repeat. So, yeah, it's really kind of one, how do we stand away from that? Do a whole campaign about, yeah, they got that, but that was just a settlement. You know, we go to get verdicts and that. But we're like, that's just getting too far in the weeds with people where they're not really understanding the difference between a settlement or a verdict. A million bucks is a million bucks to them. However they get it, they, you know, they don't care. And we don't want to be another... Hey, here's the check. You know, obviously we have our 15 billion recovered because you lead with a big number and it's impressive. But, you know, we're not pushing that out like other firms push out the individual ones. Um, so it's more just brand awareness plays kind of staying above that. Then at the same time, knowing that we have those numbers to back it up and we'll push out verdicts on Instagram and Twitter and social media channels and stuff like that to get it out there. So people at least know we're trying cases, but it's not what we lead with. We lead more what you're talking about, like, hey, get people talking, be, be memorable get them as a client and then just wow them with service and experience and they'll be customers for life. Advertising with local sports teams is a great way to connect to your community, but college athletes were off limits until recently. Name, Image and Likeness or NIL offers fair compensation, financial stability and educational opportunities for college athletes. And it is changing the game for local legal advertising. The Morgan & Morgan firm saw an opportunity and did not hesitate. So we were actually the first firm, law firm in America, that did an NIL deal. I'm a licensed basketball agent um, all that time when I was, as my dad says, fucking around in law school, uh, <laughs> pretending to be a sports agent. I actually got licensed and have some overseas clients and stuff like that. It's more of a hobby than a, than a career, but it's fun to be around. But in, in doing so, I knew kind of the path that was coming. You go to these agents, you have to do these seminars with the NBA PA every year. So I knew the NIL train was coming. And I knew, hey, you know, if we're a first mover, kind of back to that earned media thing, you know, even if we just do a deal, we can go. You know, we, I think our first deal is for $5,000, but we got about $800,000 worth of free media from different newspapers writing about, hey, this player just signed with Morgan & Morgan, NIL deal happened, ESPN and podcasts, we're all picking it up. It was actually a purple cow, one of those, those creative meetings. Uh, I pitched it to purple cow. We're big in Lexington, Kentucky. That's where my dad's from. He's a Kentucky fan. He knows John Calipari well. So it's kind of a layup, you know, let's go to Kentucky, do a whole team deal. That was kind of the next evolution of we'll do the team with the whole entire team. Now you have these people in Lexington, you know, they eat, sleep, drink Kentucky basketball. Now you have the Kentucky people on commercials and billboards with us saying, call Morgan and Morgan. They're the best, yada, yada. There, obviously, there's certain things you have to get approved by the bar. You can't, like, guarantee wins and say they're the best firm and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but just aligning yourself with that brand side by side. And they're like, well, if they're with them, then I'm with them, too, because I love all things Kentucky basketball. And if they're supporting my team, then I'm going to support that law firm because if so facto, more dollars will then flow to my team and my players. Now, what's happened, though, is I'm not going to say people are copycatting because it's going to be the nature of flow, but other people start getting that same space, obviously. And these people are spending, they're treating them like they're pro players. You know, we were able to go in and do deals for, you know, four figures, you know, maybe 3,000, 5,000. I think our highest deal we've ever done is for like 15,000. That was for a top three pick in the draft uh, when he was at Alabama. So, you know, we, we were able to pretty much say, hey, take our money or don't take our money. We're paying you for, you know, an hour of your time to take pictures with us, a few social media posts. And then we're then going to take you and market you all over Tuscaloosa. You're going to be a college athlete with billboards and on buses. Like what a college athlete doesn't want that. So a lot of times the agents would get involved and try to play hardball. Like, no, you know, he wants seven figures. And you kind of laugh at them and say, see you later. 
And then the client will call you back like, hey, can I still get that deal done for the number that you promised? And you guys, am I really going to get billboards? So there's a lot of that. But now like, what does happen is, you know, some firms will come in and we'll pay a guy like 100 grand. And then it just kind of just muddies what the value is. Because a lot of times, too, it could be, hey, this lawyer is a mega booster of Georgia football. So I, I want to make sure I get a recruit there. So I'll pay this guy $50,000 to be a spokesman for Georgia. Meanwhile, he goes to Georgia. I have him as a spokesperson, two birds, one stone, where my dad doesn't care about any of that stuff. He cares about, you know, how much does this cost and what are our eyeballs? What's the ROI on this? Big money for some of these players, especially if you if you average out what they're doing at scale. But no, it's definitely, I think the, the, the way that it's helped us is one, it shows the people in the community that we're invested with them and with their team. It's aligning us with their team. And then the content we can get around it is just super, you know, hyper-local content, you know? So like we did one with... Grace McCall at our Coastal Carolina. That's just super hyper local. Who's watching that? But you know, all of a sudden, case spikes go up in that county, you know, 25%. There's nothing else to really point to except that one campaign. So we definitely have proof of concept that it works. And then we've replicated it out now where, you know, we're the, we're the official law firm of the Yankees and of the Phillies and of the Red Sox. Because we're like, hey, if we put this logo up next to our logo, these diehard fans are going to be all in with us. Yeah, I wonder if it does it give you the enemy too. It does. So I mean, we've been very uh, we've been very cognizant about that though. You know, in in uh, Lexington and I mean with with UK, we have deals with Louisville now too. So yeah, there's definitely some of that as well. Of like, hey, because you'll go to a different city or something, you're on a away game, and you just saw Morgan and Morgan with Brock Bowers at Georgia, but now you're driving to Arkansas, and this is a, this was a layup though. The Arkansas has a football player named John Morgan. So, I mean, we, we obviously had to do a deal with him. Uh, so we have a deal with him this year. But, you know, all of a sudden you're driving over to, to Georgia and you see John Morgan, the football player on a Morgan Morgan bill. We're like, wait, wait a minute. I thought they were with me. Now, now they're with them. Now they're with everybody. But we've looked at it, you know, and really how we kind of came with the kind of leaning more into the sports marketing is, you know, I don't look at the enemy as other law firms when it comes to marketing. I still look at it as a guy I'm going against the courtroom. Um, and that's, uh, you know, Allstate and State Farm and USAA and these firms. And where are they spending the money? They're spending it at these ballparks and on these players and on these deals. You know, Patrick Mahomes is, I think, representing like three insurance companies. Now, the guy's always on TV. But it didn't deter. You know, the main thing I took from that was just because Allstate was marketing at Raymond James Stadium, USAA was still marketing there, too. Progressive was still marketing there, too. So even if another law firm or another team kind of sees it, it's just I think they now know. This is just marketing. This is what big companies do. And Morgan Morgan is a national big company. How can the personal injury attorneys listening get in touch with you? Uh, and what's next for Morgan & Morgan? Absolutely, yeah. So my role now is actually I'm the uh, head of our referrals inbound, outbound, and I do all of our out-of-market marketing as well. Definitely reach out to me. My email is easy, dmorgan at forthepeople.com. Um, again, dmorgan at forthepeople.com, pretty easy. And then also I'm on Instagram, Dan Morgan ESQ. You can DM me on there as well. But really what's next, you know, is we really want to keep growing our this referral network. We're marketing nationally now. So there's tons of cases that are coming in outside of our markets that we're in. So we're trying to grow those networks, be able to refer those cases in or out. And then, you know, we have eyes on another markets to launch too. Like we, we actually launched Vegas this month. So you'll see us a lot more in Vegas, boots on ground attorneys. The goal is to, you know, keep slowly taking over the world. <laughs> Thanks so much to Dan Morgan for sharing his wisdom today. Let's hit the takeaways. Time for the pinpoints. Specialized for success. Morgan & Morgan lawyers focus on specific legal niches, becoming true subject matter experts. The firm also evaluates each attorney's abilities 
playing to their strengths. Don't be afraid to shuffle talent to match skill sets. Properly aligning talent allows everyone to excel. You might think you're a great pitcher, but I hate to tell you, you're a third baseman and we're going to move you over to the hot corner and that's where you're going to be. And they moan at first and all of a sudden they go over there and they're doubling their fees after a year and they're loving life a lot more. And the next thing you know, they're off and running. Stand out. Remember Seth Godin's purple cow idea? By breaking with the pack, you stand out and stick in people's minds. Morgan & Morgan embraces buzzworthy marketing like viral graffiti billboards to captivate audiences. The goal is to be memorable, not fade into the background. To scale up, your marketing must break through the noise. Every Tuesday from five to six, sometimes it goes longer, is really just throwing out these different ideas and we round table it and we kick it around and then we kind of, you know, it's called the purple cow meeting when people see something and it kind of sticks with them. Streamline intake. With over 500 call center staff tackling 2.5 million calls yearly, Morgan & Morgan has streamlined intake for success. Their efficient process lets them smoothly handle high call volumes. If you want to grow, streamline your systems. We find people all the time, you know, it could just be someone that's angry that day and they're just pressing call disconnect halfway through a call because they're done doing a sign up and it's a qualified case. So having layered management to like check why is agent A have an average call time of two minutes and everyone else is at five and a half minutes. Let's go pull her calls. Oh, something's going on. Her phone's not, you know, there's a manual disconnect going on. Just stuff like that. So always having systems in place to be able to canvas and make sure it's being run efficiently. For more information about Dan Morgan and Morgan & Morgan, check out the show notes. While you're there, please hit that follow button so that you never miss an episode of Personal Injury Mastermind with me, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. See you next time. I'm out.